from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, June 29th. Holiday week getting started here in the Seattle area and ahead in this hour. We've got some news in the NFL. Former NFL MVP Cam Newton, he has a new home and it is with the New England Patriots. Also, other Pats news the NFL find. The Patriots, $1.1 million, took away a third-round pick in the 2021 draft as a result of uh, that filming on the sideline scandal that happened during a game. So I'll explain the details of both those stories related to the Patriots, also one related to the Seahawks. Uh, NFLPA Executive Director DeMarie Smith was pretty vocal in his criticism of player workouts. That includes Tom Brady and that includes Russell Wilson saying that they go against the union advisory that they sent out. We'll explain the details of that. Also ahead, the NBA testing on Friday and reporting the percentage of positive tests from last week as they get ready for the return to play in Orlando. The MLS also reporting their number and spring training 2.0. So we're going to hear more um, from the Mariners and from that venture this week as they get back July 1st to start spring training 2.0. All ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. Former NFL MVP Cam Newton, he has a new home, has reached an agreement on a one-year incentive-laden deal with the New England Patriots, according to Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen. After Tom Brady left to fly south and join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and free agency Free agency, the Patriots did not end up selecting a quarterback in April's draft. They currently have 2019 fourth rounder pick uh, Jarrett Stidham and then 11 year veteran Brian Hoyer atop their depth chart. The Carolina Panthers, meanwhile, released Newton, the number one overall selection from back in 2011 on March 24th, ending their nine year relationship. Carolina moving on after agreeing to a contract with free agent Teddy Bridgewater to become the team's new starter and Newton continuing to rehab from foot surgery. He had a physical in Atlanta on March 23rd. It was coordinated by the Panthers and his agency. He turned 31 back in May and passed the physical is healthy now with both his shoulder and foot quote checking out well according to Adam Schefter's report. Newton will have to beat out Stidham and Hoyer, who have previously been leading on-field workouts this offseason. The Patriots also currently have rookie free agents Jamar Smith and Brian Lewerke on the quarterback death chart. Caesar Sportsbook already responding, though, and moving the Patriots from 25-1 to 1 to 20-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl with the addition of Newton uh, and also upping their odds to win the AFC. Meanwhile, the NFL also finding the New England Patriots, you hate to see it, $1.1 million, taking away a third-round pick in the 2021 draft as punishment for their television crews filming the field and sideline during a December 8th game between the Cincinnati Bengals and Cleveland Browns. In addition, the Patriots' television production crews will not be allowed to shoot any games during the 2020 season. It might just work out well considering all the concerns with COVID-19 as well right now. Anyway, uh, senior club officials will undergo required training on league operation and game policy 
game policies. The NFL also banning an individual, David Mondillo, who was suspended by the Patriots at the time of the NFL investigation from NFL facilities until further notice. But prior to the league's discipline, he had already been terminated by the Patriots. Patriots admitting that their production crew inappropriately filmed the field and sideline. They were credentialed by the Browns to shoot for a series called Do Your Job. But the Pats did not inform the Bengals or the NFL, which the Patriots called, quote, an unintended oversight. Yeah, whoops. NFLPA Executive Director DeMaurice Smith was pretty vocal in his criticism of player workouts over the weekend. It was during an interview with USA Today and was specifically asked about social media posts from workouts by Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady, as well as Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, and said they aren't acting, quote, in the best interest of player safety. He said, also continuing, they're not in the best interest of protecting our players heading into training camp, and I don't think they are in the best interest of getting through an entire season, he told USA Today. Believes the workouts go against the union advisory that was sent out last weekend, saying that they should stop doing so. Back on June 20th, Dr. Tom Mayer, the NFLPA's medical director, issued a statement advising players to avoid working out with teammates to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Statement was made after around 10 teams reported positive coronavirus tests for at least one player. Despite the advisory, Brady and several of his new teammates, including former teammate tight end Rob Gronkowski, continue to hold workouts at a Tampa, Florida high school, according to the Tampa Bay Times. Jeff Darlington, ESPN NFL reporter on DeMaurice Smith's comments. NFLPA Executive Director DeMaurice Smith telling USA Today Sports that players continuing to work out together amid the pandemic are, quote, not in the best interest of player safety. Quarterbacks Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, and Matt Stafford are among many players that have posted clips to social media of themselves working out with teammates, despite both the union and the league encouraging players not to do so. ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlington joining us now on Sports Center. Jeff, we know how D. Smith feels about Tom Brady's workouts with his new Bucks teammates. What's been the reaction from, from elsewhere throughout the league? Well, it's interesting, Jay. You just mentioned Matt Stafford and Russell Wilson. I reached out to three other franchise quarterbacks and just asked them very simply about Tom Brady's workouts. Are you offended? Are you bothered? Do you feel like he is gaining an unfair advantage by holding these workouts? And all of them responded almost laughably. Like They were almost like, no, that's cool. We're, we're doing kind of the similar. Um, to that point, I think it's important to note that some players might be practicing better health standards than others when they're doing these workouts. But to DeMora Smith's point, the executive director of the NFLPA, one other added note that he made in his comments was that essentially this is not just about protecting yourself now. It's also about the negotiations that will occur between the NFLPA and the NFL when it comes to gaining protections for players uh, about coronavirus once the season actually starts. Smith knows that if he's going to negotiate with ownership, and try to point to the fact that these players are going out there and risking their lives during the season, and owners point toward these workouts and saying they're just fine with it. Look what they did this summer. It makes it more difficult on the union. So there is a business side of this as well that's important. And what basically Smith is saying, that as a union, it's stronger if everybody kind of cohesively stays together and follows some rules now as opposed to uh, making it more difficult in the future. 
The NFL maintaining that training camps will start on time next month, a lot of, for a lot of teams, that being July 28th, with League Executive Vice President General Counsel Jeff Pass saying Thursday that, quote, active discussions are ongoing about what will happen after that point. We already know the Hall of Fame game, the league's annual preseason opener that was originally scheduled for August 8th, has already been canceled by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A lot of people expecting that. But as for training camp, still proceeding as if it will happen uh, preseason as well. And the NFL regular season, most important date on the schedule, slated to begin September 10th. Jeff Darlington on the season starting on time as well. Most teams expected to report to training camp one month from today, July 28th. Uh, How optimistic are players and coaches around the league that the season will go on uninterrupted, Jeff? Well, Jay, I, would, I certainly wouldn't label it as optimistic, but I also wouldn't necessarily pessimist, say pessimistic. I would say uncertain. Um, I was talking to one player and essentially saying to him, hey, when, you, when you're heading back for, for training camp uh, to, to your city, and his response was, I have no idea. Now, teams know uh, the NFL says that training camp is expected to open uh, on all, or July 28th for all teams, but I definitely sense from players this level of uncertainty like, Okay, yeah, we know that that's the hard date, but we're not so sure that that's actually going to happen. So I think that there's just a level of uncertainty with players that exists uh, just as it does for all of us. You know, I would just say that everybody who asked the question, are we going to have football this year? Um, I don't think the players even know the answer to that. So just a level of uncertainty, a cloud of uncertainty right now hovering over the entire NFL. And I, I suppose I could say the entire sports landscape. Jeff Darlington, though, did say that the league, uh, it will be easy for them to take some events off the calendar if need be. I think it's interesting because you hear from Roger Goodell and the NFL uh, widely is doing uh, from the people I have spoken to what people would like to see the NFL do. And that is create a plan, at least continue to roll out protocols in order to safely return to facilities, return to training camp and eventually play in games. Whether the NFL eventually has to scale that back, ultimately, uh, remains to be the question. But I was speaking with uh, two general managers yesterday who were basically saying, yeah, no, the NFL is doing exactly what's right. It's easier. It's going to be easier to scale back and say this is canceled than it would be to say in a month's time, if all of a sudden football feels like a comfortable thing to do, to be able to say, oh, wait, we didn't think about that. Now we need to force this forward. So the NFL continuing to take the necessary steps to play football if, in fact, they're able to do so in a month's time. Coming up on The Blitz, the NBA and the Players Association on Friday saying 16 players tested positive for the coronavirus. What percentage of the pool uh, is that positive testing rate? Also, some more players opting out of the return to play in the bubble. We've also got the latest on the MLS's return. It's called the MLS is Back Tournament, as well as what's going on with the Mariners this week. They gather for Spring Training 2.0. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Liddy Cruz alongside with you Monday, June 29th. Creeping towards the return of sports on our television. We've already gotten to see some soccer, some Korean baseball. But uh, now the NBA, the MLS pushing towards 
the restart of the season. And on Friday, the NBA and the National Basketball Players Association announced 16 players tested positive for the coronavirus in the first wave of mandatory testing done before they kick off and restart the season. Those 16 players were part of a pool of 302 that were tested last Tuesday. So that equates to a 5.3% rate of positive tests league-wide. Commissioner Adam Silver said the numbers were roughly as expected and that none of the 16 were seriously ill, which is great news. And both Silver and NB, NBPA Executive Director Michelle Roberts said they were relieved that the number wasn't higher and that both sides expected positive tests during this period. First up, here was Silver. Ultimately, I share Michelle's reaction that I was relieved, not just that the number came in roughly where we expected it would based on their age group and similar testing um, in, in, in other situations from other leagues and, and, and other industries, but also that none of the 16 were seriously ill in any way. And that, that was also a big relief for us. And Michelle Roberts on how one, in her mind, is too many, but there was a number that would have been devastating for them as well. I think one would have been concerning, but God forgive me, I was frankly, to some extent, relieved that the number was not higher. I'm also relieved that we've had the foresight to identify players that would be testing positive now, uh, because our goal, of course, is to make sure that when guys do report to campus, that we will be reporting if someone's been tested negative. So... You know, I, I've been holding my breath for those past few weeks. Again, I maybe maybe I should be less enthusiastic and optimistic. If nothing else, it told me that the great majority of our players have been doing exactly what they should have been doing. They should distance in and keep them safe. So, again, one is too many, but 160 would have been devastating. The player names were not disclosed, although some players such as Malcolm Brogdon of Indiana and Sacramento teammates Jabari Parker and Alex Len have publicly acknowledged they recently tested positive. Any player who tests positive will remain in self-isolation until uh, he satisfies public health protocols for discontinuing isolation has been cleared by a physician to do so. The NBA season scheduled to resume on July 30th with 22 teams participating in Orlando, Florida, that campus bubble-like environment. Adam Silver on the fact that the level of concern has increased because, as uh, is true in Florida and many states across the U.S., COVID cases have seen a recent spike. So Adam Silver admitting that concern has definitely increased. The level of, of concern has increased, not just because of the increased levels in Florida, but throughout the country. At least today, I believe um, 29 of the 50 states have an increased number of cases. Of course, we designed um, our campus, um, in essence, to isolate ourselves from whatever the level of cases um, was in, in the surrounding community. But since we placed our original, since we, we designed our initial p- protocol, we are continuing to work with Disney on the testing of at least a subset of their employees. One of the big questions is, though, is how they will deal with positive tests in the campus environment. We know According to the health and safety protocols, there's separate housing uh, that these players will go to. But in terms of logistically, how the league will continue, here was Silver on that. We haven't worked through every scenario, but the notion would be that if we had a single player test positive, that player would then go into quarantine. We would then be tracking any players that or other personnel that that player had been in contact with and even potentially supplement the daily testing just to ensure that others had not um, been contaminated, but then we would continue. You know, that team would be down a man, and we would treat that positive test as we would 
an injury during the season, and so we, we would not, not delay the continuation of the playoffs. If and when there could be a league shutdown, they haven't answered that big question, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, in terms of how many players testing positive would that take? Positive tests. I think there's an expectation there will probably be some within that bubble. But the question that the NBA has really not answered and they haven't boxed themselves into, L, is how many positive tests within one team, within the league, the restart, would it take for them to shut it down? They haven't answered that. And still, the NBA believing they have the best chance to pull off return, maybe comparatively to some other sports, according, according to Woj. I think ultimately, as compared to baseball, which is going to play outside of a bubble environment, I think the league believes they have the best chance to pull this off because of an environment with which they can control more than the others. They can't control everything about this, but they're in an environment where they hope at the very least that they can minimize the risk You know, that's inherent to living in this world right now. Adrian Wojnarowski also just asked, is the NBA making the right decision by playing? There's been plenty of people, Kenny, who've questioned whether this is the right decision or not. I think the NBA questions it every day. There's going to be risk, and they're hopeful that the risk doesn't outweigh within the bubble what your life would be outside the bubble. And for the NBA, question ultimately is going to be not if they get positive tests within the bubble, but how many they get and at what point does it preclude them from continuing? That's a question they haven't answered yet. They haven't boxed themselves in with that idea, but there's going to become a point where they might have to turn back and they recognize that. Also, a lot of players concerned about the fight for social justice right now and leaving that to play a sport. Some believing that this will amplify their platform and give them a voice. Some believing it might distract from it. Oklahoma City Thunder guard Chris Paul, who's president of the National Basketball Players Association, he told the Undefeated on Saturday that the Players Union and the league are collaborating to allow players to wear jerseys with personalized social justice, social cause, or charity messages on the backs of of their jerseys instead of their last names during the upcoming restart of the NBA season. The personalized statements on jerseys are part of a long list of social justice messages and initiatives that the players plan to make through the remainder of the season. And the and the NBA and PA announced on an agreement on Wednesday to continue to discussing fighting systemic racism and to make it one of the main focuses of the restart. Personalized jerseys could say things such as Black Lives Matter or I Can't Breathe, bring to light uh, a social charitable cause or even display the names of George, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, whatever these players may decide is important to them. And Chris Paul saying that, uh, just know that you're going to continue to hear from us. Along with myself, Mark, I think the, the thing for us as players and, and the league that's predominantly black, like we all understand too. Like I said, we're we're aware we're not just basketball players, right? We are, you know, like you said, like me, I'm a a, a black African American, right? With kids, with a wife, with a family, and stuff like that. So everything that you've seen from George Floyd, from Breonna Taylor, from Rashad Brooks, or even the latest Elijah McClain, like we see this stuff, right? So. We can't do that like we don't because these are our communities. These are the, the streets that we walk on, that we raised on, that we grew up on. So we're aware, right? So we also understand how powerful our voice is, right? And so even if we're back to playing, we understand that our voice can still be heard. Our message can still be screamed loud and clear on an unbelievable platform. So just know that you're going to continue to hear us. Just know that. It's never a shut up and driven situation. You're going to continue to hear us and see us. That was Chris Paul 
on those important initiatives they are working on and will keep working on throughout the restart of the season. Up next on the Blitz, baseball also taking a step forward finally this week when players return to their respective uh, home stadiums or home cities um, and continue spring training, spring training 2.0, whatever you want to call it, summer camp, I think was the name Danny O'Neill coined, which I'm into. Uh, We also got a look at what the roster might look like, the 22 players that were added in addition to the 40-man roster for the Mariners. We'll hear from Jerry DePoto. We'll take a look at that list, including some draft picks from this year. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you this morning, Monday, June 29th. Thanks for being here bright and early. The Mariners are getting back to baseball this week, July 1st. The report date for players heading back into town. And we got a first peek at what the training roster will look like of the 22 players that have been added to the training roster. So that's in addition to the 40-man roster players. 12 of those were non-roster invitees to spring training in February. So some names that you might recognize, whether it's Logan Gilbert, uh, Joey Gerber, LJ Newsome, uh, Cal Rally, Jose Marmalejos, and then, of course, in the outfield, Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez. But also 10 players have been added to the 60-man for the resumption of camp, include some brand-new draft picks, uh, Isaiah Campbell, Emerson Hancock, George Kirby, and Brandon Williamson in the pitcher category, Juan Then as well. Uh, Noel V. Marte also in the infield, as well as Caden Polkovich, Austin Shenton, Tyler Keenan, and then in the outfield, Zach Deloach. Uh, Hancock, Deloach, Polkovich, and Keenan were all selected in the 2020 draft earlier this month. So your chance to get a look at some of the brand new Mariners. Campbell was the Mariners' competitive balance round uh, two selection back in 2019, but did not appear in a minor league game last season. So an opportunity for a lot of these players to get some reps in. Jerry DePoto joining Danny and Gallant last week and uh, talking about this unprecedented season and trying to ramp up things this week. How is this going to work for you guys with spring training? What's the game plan? Do you guys essentially press a reset button and restart things as if it were the beginning of March? Or was there a set point that you had gotten to with spring training in March that you guys feel like, yeah, we're going to go from our evaluations that we made up to that point? Well, we are going to count those evaluations. We did see almost an entire spring training by the time we, we uh, I guess, disbanded the the third week of March. But, you know, it, that was mostly a foregone conclusion. We had a very good idea of what our 26-man roster was going to look like uh, when we entered spring. And you know, most of that was only confirmed. Some of it was was changed, you know. Players do change your mind or, or step up and, and take control of situations, and, and a few guys did that, which was very exciting. Uh, you know, we're going into this spring training 2.0, which will start in the middle of next week, and unfortunately a lot of the foundation or the base that we built up in our first spring training is mostly lost. You know, the, the development, the innings, the, you know, the, the pitch count development for the pitchers and, and really the at-bats uh, and, and comfort for our hitters in the box. It's, we, we do, to a certain extent, have to start from the beginning. But we're going to do this a little differently than we've, we've ever really done spring training before because we'll be working in smaller groups. It will be in Seattle and solely at T-Mobile Park. 
and we are going to we're going to move cautiously and and make sure that as we go through this three week spring training that once we get to the regular season our first and and truly our only thought through this is our players development and their continued health and well-being and, and we're going to we're going to focus on those things and that could be anything from the obvious which is their physical health or you know with the pitchers their arm health keeping the the soft tissue issues with uh with our position players there's there's a lot to manage and it's going to put a lot of stress on our staff and and our training team jerry the the lack of a conventional minor league season i know there's the hope there'll be work in the fall league and and maybe expanded games there but the the fact that there isn't a a conventional minor league season there's such a, a number of prospects that i know you guys have been watching and grooming and kind of that next step in the development how does how does not having a minor league season but having a major league season how will that impact your development plans for them that's uh, strange you know it's there are a handful of players who we did have a, a general timeline or an expectation that they would have experienced a, a half a season or two thirds of a minor league season and then progress to the big leagues and, and get their feet wet toward the tail end of, of 2020. And and we do have to pump the brakes on that and see where they are in their development and what the the I guess the the truncated version of this major league season looks like. And it'll be really hard to to continue to develop an organization without a minor league season. But that makes us like twenty nine other teams in that regard. So you know, one way that we have tried to to solve this is you know, in addition to having a, a really young major league roster, we are very likely to have among the youngest if not the youngest uh taxi squads we we are going to to really focus on making sure that this is about developing our young players and and keeping our eye on the big picture that that we have been so focused on for these last 20 months or so that was jerry depoto for the jerry depoto show on danny and gallant last week scott service the skip also joining tom jake and stacy to chat about spring training 2.0 and the exciting news here after all the back and forth um, and obviously it hasn't really been a big concern of yours up to this point other than are you going to have a season or not but we can now officially say that we're going to have a season um, which is exciting but now you head into this process of re-entering basically another spring training how difficult is it to get your guys ready yet again in a short amount of time well, I don't think the, I think the energy and the excitement will be there uh, when the players arrive and understanding we've only got three weeks to kind of get up and going. And then the fact that it is such a a shorter season, it just puts more uh, emphasis on each and every game. But uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I think the challenge of, uh, you know, scheduling, we've never done anything like this, 60 players in one ballpark. Uh, It's certainly great being in T-Mobile. But, you know, we've got to be very creative in setting up the workouts. And, you know, even though we've got 60 players coming in, we'll probably divide the group up into – you know, split it up into 30 in the morning workouts and 30 guys in the afternoon. But uh, it's been a lot of, you know, conversation on the phone with, with coaches. And, again, it's it's kind of like fun putting that puzzle together and how you get all these guys get their work in. Certainly spring training is about pitching and getting the pitchers built up. And, you know, that's been the focus. Uh, you know, been on some calls yesterday with our pitching coaches and listening to their ideas about, you know, plans, uh, looking ahead, obviously getting our starters stretched out, making sure our relievers are ready to go, and then, you know, if something happens, some guys get sick or injury, whatever, we have to have other guys ready behind them. So 
Um, there's a lot of uh, organizing going on right now, but everybody's excited and looking forward to, to getting back out on the field. Yeah, no kidding. I'm sure that obviously the very shortened season has maybe, I mean, I'm assuming, but changed some of your guys' expectations and plans for uh, young players that would have made either a debut or or kind of started getting some more time. So I'm assuming Evan White is is still going to be starting in there at first base. Um, who are some of the other young faces that we could see still make a debut? Yeah, that's a good question, Stacey. I know this is a, coming into this season uh, was a big year for us uh, just to find out a lot about our young players. And, and certainly we have a, a lot of very talented guys that, that need experience. You know the innings and the at bats and things like that, and certainly, you know uh, where Evan White is and, and Kyle Lewis. You know that's kind of the, the first wave of, of players we saw Kyle last year at the, at the end of the year a little bit, and uh, Evan looked great in, in spring training, and Evan looks you know, like he's ready to roll. Um, we get going on opening day, but you know our, our initial you know 26, or we'll probably start with a 30-man roster, uh, is not going to be much different than what we were anticipating coming out of a normal spring training now. Because there's no minor league season, it's, it's kind of the second wave of players, and that's kind of where our pitching comes in with, with Logan Gilbert and Joey Gerber and Della Plain, Fletcher, some of the young relievers. Um, you know, we were hoping to see, you know, at some point during the season, maybe at the end of the year, maybe a little bit different now. We'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But um, I think the, uh, the exciting thing about bringing 60 players in is it's really, you know, it's a couple different groups. We've got some really, really young players with a ton of upside that you won't see in the big league this year, but we think it's really important that they get the opportunity to continue their development throughout the season on the taxi squad. We've got another group of players that yeah. may not break uh, to start opening day with us, but you'll see them at some point during the season uh, based on maybe lack of performance or, or injury from some other guys. And, you know, you give uh, some of those guys on that taxi squad an opportunity. So, uh, it, it's, it's been fun, um, you know, looking at all the different, I guess, buckets of players that we have and trying to get them all ready to go and try to salvage something out of this 2020 season. We'll keep you updated on that as the Mariners gather for Spring Training 2.0 and we'll be back at T-Mobile Park on July 1st. Coming up next on The Blitz, Mississippi lawmakers voting this weekend to retire the Confederate battle emblem from its state flag and prompted largely by a movement in sports. So the power of sports and that platform. Also, we've got the latest on Jamal Adams and uh, Adam Gase finally commenting on that, as well as positive tests for the NBA and the MLS as they try to return to play next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Chesapeake Energy Corporation, which holds the naming rights to the Oklahoma City Thunders Arena, announced Sunday it had filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, pointing at a drop in oil prices and gas demand during the coronavirus pandemic. The company said in a release it planned to continue operating during the restructuring process. Uh, Chesapeake was co-founded by the late Aubrey McClendon, also a founding owner of the Thunder and a key part of the franchise's relocation, a.k.a. Uh, Dolan uh, from Seattle. McClendon left the company in 2013 amid controversy around its business practices. 
2016 was federally indicted on charges of conspiracy to rig bids on oil and gas leases. He died the following day in a single car accident when his SUV smashed into a concrete viaduct at 90 miles per hour. Chesapeake Energy still holds the naming rights to the downtown arena, the Thunder Play-In, signing a 12-year deal with the franchise in 2011. It was scheduled to expire after the 2022-2023 season. The agreement cost Chesapeake $3 million the first year and was set to increase by 3% each year following. So it's currently unknown how Chesapeake's bankruptcy will impact the arena's naming rights agreement. Uh, there is no comment as of now from the Thunder. Mississippi lawmakers voted Sunday to retire the Confederate battle emblem from its state flag following widespread increased pressure that came in part from the world of sports. Uh, Mississippi's House and Senate voted uh, Sunday afternoon to retire the flag with broad bipartisan sport. Republican Governor Tate Reeves said that he will sign the bill and the state flag would lose its official status as soon as he signs the measure. Mississippi is the only state flag that continues to feature the banner of the Confederacy, a blue cross with uh, 13 white stars. The state has faced pressure to change its flag during the past month and worldwide protests against racial injustice in the United States. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey also said back on June 18th that they would not host any future conference championship events in Mississippi until the state changes its flag. SEC last ran a championship event in Mississippi in May 2016. A day after that, the NCAA expanded its Confederate flag policy to prohibit all its championship events from being held in the states where the flag is flown. And Greg Senke on being clear that no conference championships will be played in Mississippi until that's changed. Because it come from from the SEC, the SEC, that if this flag isn't uh, changed, that there will be no conference championships held in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, that's right. And it would be a, a policy step that I would recommend to our conference officially. But we have not um, we have not considered a state with the Confederate emblem in an official display um, to host our predetermined championships. And this began for me back in 2015, uh, five years ago this month when I first became commissioner. And the state of South Carolina had the Confederate battle flag displayed on its state capitol. Change happened. Governor Nikki Haley was great in leading people and bringing them together. And our women's basketball tournament is now played in Greenville, South Carolina. NCAA basketball tournaments have returned to that state. So there are great opportunities out there. And we want to see the positive. We want to be encouraging uh, as part of this change and, and are certainly hopeful that it can be accomplished. Also last Thursday, Ole Miss football coach Lane Kiffin, Mississippi State coach, former Cougs coach Mike Leach, were part of a contingent of 46 coaches and administrators from eight public universities that addressed the state legislature lobbying for the Confederate emblem's removal. And Greg Sankey saying he was proud of those coaches and their statements and coming out in opposition to that. Jamal Adams, it's been kind of clear that he wants out of New York and on his apparent or supposed trade list. And it includes the Seattle Seahawks. Adam Gase, though, head coach of the Jets, saying that they are currently keeping uh, those Adams those Adams discussions internal. Yeah, I think any discussions that has to do with anything with those type of topics, you know, those are the things that, that we're always going to keep internally. You know, he's been one of our, our best players and most consistent guys that we had last year. Adam Gase saying, though, he wants Jamal on their team. Yes, I I want Jamal on our team. We got to kind of figure out a way to, to get to a good place so you know we can get him, you know, back in the in the right spot and, and, and ready to go. 
still pretty unhappy with uh, the lack, I guess you could say, of uh, contract negotiations or progress on that front. But the Jets not looking like they are willing to trade him anytime soon, or at least not for a steep asking price. MLS announced that two dozen people reported positive COVID-19 tests prior to traveling to Orlando for the MLS's back tournament. Another two tested positive after arriving in Central Florida. MLS said Sunday that 18 players and six staff members have received positive PCR tests. Overall, 668 players have been tested since the start of full team training on June 4th. That translates to a positive test rate of 2.7%. Now, when you compare that to the NBA positive test rate of 5.3, that's pretty favorable or compares favorably. MLS added that 329 people have been tested for COVID-19 after arriving in Florida with two players testing positive there. They declined who those to identify who those people were or which teams they play for, but we know that five teams are in Orlando as of now. That includes uh, San Jose, the Earthquakes, Orlando City SC, Minnesota United, Columbus Crew SC, and FC Dallas. The NBA and the National Basketball Players Association on Friday said 16 players tested positive for, the, for COVID-19 in the wake of their first wave of mandatory testing. Those 16 players were part of a pool of 302 tested last Tuesday, so that equals out to a 5.3 rate of positive tests league-wide. Commissioner Adam Silver said the numbers were roughly as expected, though none of the 16 were seriously ill at this time. Both Silver and NBPA Executive Director Michelle Roberts said they were in one essence, relieved that the number wasn't higher and that they had expected positive tests during this period. Uh, Adam Silver, on being relieved, the positive cases were low. Ultimately, I share Michelle's reaction that I was relieved, not just that the number came in roughly where we expected it would based on their age group and similar testing um, in, in, in other situations from other leagues and, and, and other industries, but also that none of the 16 were seriously ill in any way. And that, that was also a big relief for us. Any player tested positive will remain in self-isolation until they're cleared by a doctor to do so, and they satisfy public health protocols for getting out of that isolation. The NBA season is scheduled to resume on July 30th, with 22 teams participating in the bubble in Orlando, Florida. Uh, and I'm Silver saying they will continue, even though, yes, the level of concern has increased with a rise in COVID cases in several states across the nation. Brooklyn Nets forward Wilson Chandler has informed the team that he is opting out of playing in Orlando, Florida. He cited spending more time with his family, particularly his grandmother who raised him and his three children as a primary reason for opting out. Utah Jazz center Rudy Gobert says he still has trouble smelling after testing positive for coronavirus back in March. He spoke to a French newspaper recently, told the outlet, quote, the taste has returned, but the smell is still not 100%. I can smell smells, but not from afar. I spoke to specialists who told me that it could take up to a year to return to normal. Gobert, the first reported NBA player to test positive for the coronavirus, prompting the league to suspend its season back in March. NFLPA Executive Director DeMarie Smith was vocal in his criticism of player workouts over the weekend. It was an interview with USA Today, and Dee saying that he was asked specifically about social media posts from a couple of quarterbacks, including Russell Wilson, but also Tom Brady has been pretty vocal and uh, about posting these on the Internet. He, and Smith responding, say, saying, quote, they're not in the best interest of protecting our players heading into training camp. And I don't think they are in the best interest of getting us through an entire season. 
Uh, Smith also addressed ongoing talks between the league and the union over how positive coronavirus cases among players will be handled from a roster and benefits perspective. Uh, You can read his full statement at ESPN.com on that. NFL maintaining that training camps will start on time late next month with the league executive vice president and general counsel Jeff Pass saying Thursday that active discussions are ongoing about what will happen after this point. But as of now, still planning on the regular season starting September 10th. Former NFL MVP Cam Newton, he has a new home, and it is in New England. He's reached an agreement on a one-year incentive-laden deal with the New England Patriots, according to Adam Schefter, after Tom Brady departed for the South uh, to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in free agency. The Patriots ended up not selecting a quarterback in April's draft. They currently have 2019 fourth-round pick Jared Stidham on the roster, as well as 11-year veteran Brian Hoyer atop the death chart, so two people that Cam will have to beat out for potential reps. The Carolina Panthers releasing Newton back on March 24th, ending their nine-year relationship with their former number one overall selection. Carolina moving on from its franchise QB after agreeing to a contract with Teddy Bridgewater to become the new starter. Newton still working back from injury, continuing to rehab from foot surgery. He had a physical in Atlanta on March 23rd uh, that was coordinated by the Panthers and his agency. He said that he is... uh, According to his agent, feeling well, checking out well, and hungrier than ever and eager for the next opportunity. But both his shoulder and foot of concern still as of now. According to his agent, those are checking out well, and he's ready for this opportunity. Caesar Sportsbook already responding and moving the Pats from 25-1 to 1 to 20-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl and also upping their odds to win the AFC. Speaking of the Patriots, the NFL fining them $1.1 million and taking away a third-round pick in the 2021 draft as punishment for their television crew's, quote, accidental filming of the field and sideline, end quote, during a December 8th game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. In addition, the Patriots television production crews will not be allowed to shoot any games during the 2020 season, and senior club officials will have to undergo required training on league operation and game policies. Heading back to school. The NFL also banned an individual, David Mondillo, who was suspended by the Patriots at the time of the NFL investigation from NFL facilities until further notice. I'm sure he's not a fall guy at all, but prior to the league's discipline, Mondillo was terminated by the Pats as well, and the Patriots did admit... They did admit something, that their production crew was inappropriately uh, filming the field and the sideline. The crew was credentialed by the Browns to shoot video for a Patriots web series called Do Your Job. Some irony in there, right? Doing your job, but not appropriately. Uh, But the Patriots did not inform the Bengals or the NFL, which the Patriots called, quote, an unintended oversight. And now they'll be paying for it at least a little bit. uh, Moving here out in the 2021 draft as well as in their pocketbook. Up uh, next, it's Danny and Galan. That's a wrap for the Hot List and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. I hope you're having a good start to your week. Danny and Galan coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.